Eli Letterman joins me, Eric Bailey, on a crazy Thursday, day after the storm, day after recruiting day. Nothing slowed down, Eli. We're we're talking recruiting, we're talking Oklahoma football, and man, what a day. What what a good news day for the Sooners today. Man, I was thinking everything was done and dusted. Signing day Sooners had a class of 24 guys, a pretty impressive class. Peyton Bowen was going to Oregon, and I was sipping my morning coffee today in peace. And then we start seeing the tweets come out. And, and obviously, we were aware that Peyton Bowen, as of last night, had not yet signed his, his national letter of intent to Oregon after committing there yesterday. And we'll run through the whole saga. But, man, it develops today. It starts with the tweets. Jay Valai, then on to some of the recruits. Then uh, Brent Venables got in on the action with his, his poker chip and the, uh, the Bible verse that we'll, we'll probably hit on. And this afternoon, it all, all culminates with Peyton Bowen flipping for the second time in two days, this time to the Sooners, the, the place we all thought, I think, for a long time he was going to end up. And I, I think if it was reflected in his statement, the place he deep down probably wanted to finish and to be coming to play his college football. And now the Sooners have had their third five-star. They haven't had that, what, since 2019? Yeah, yeah exactly, so since the wide receivers came into town. Uh, it was really a strange day yesterday. I mean, there was a lot of celebration. Oklahoma signed 24 uh, members to their class. And while Brent Venables was, was talking at the podium yesterday morning on on Wednesday morning he said we we plan on adding more to this class so you just wondered if that met Peyton Bowen or not and lo and behold during the news conference the news hits that Peyton Bowen had uh, committed to Oregon and I remember I was sitting next to Ryan Aber the Oklahoman we nudged each other said can you believe this can you see this and of course we didn't you know we were late in the press conference so we didn't even know if Brent knew or not we found out mm -hmm. after the fact that Brent learned after he was done with his press conference, walking toward the elevator when Mike Halk, the sports information director at OU, told him Peyton Bowen picked Oregon. So I think that's when a lot of us thought, wow, that was a big miss for the Sooners and kind of just moved on from there. And there was a lot of reason to celebrate the 24 that were there, which include five-star quarterback Jackson Arnold, PJ, I'm going to try it, Adebore, Adebore. There you go. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I, yeah. I just have to spell it right, Eli. I don't have to say <laughs> I'm a writer. So uh, those two five stars were big for this class. But, you know, Oklahoma fans were wishing that they got Peyton Bowen. And like you said, this morning, everything just we, we realized there was no letter of intent sign. And this morning, you and I have been just kind of monitoring, monitoring, monitoring today. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's important to set the stage in two ways. One, that yesterday, even without Peyton Bowen, this was a six and six program this fall under a new coaching staff that had managed to deliver a top 10 class. And even without Peyton Bowen, that was a pretty dang big deal. We saw programs across the country yesterday kind of get picked off and, you know, people will shout whether it's NIL, whether it's, you know, any of these things, the big boy, some of the big dogs got hit a little bit. And OU, even before Peyton Bowen had managed to really hang on here, but with Peyton Bowen, this has been like a year long saga. He committed to Notre Dame on January 1st, 2022. And for whatever reason, despite that, it was, it, it just felt, and then the, the rumor mill was all about the fact that he probably wasn't going to get end up there. And the Sooners were were in play for him. He made a lot of visits this fall. He came to OU for Bedlam. And even into, into the Wednesday, opening the early signing period, it was viewed that, you know, OU and, and Oregon were the favorites. There were reports that Brent Venables visited him over the weekend. And then you get to the signing day press conference. While you were sitting in Norman, Peyton Bowen walks up to a table in Denton with, and an Oregon hat and a Notre Dame hat does a little fake out, but the Sooners aren't even in the mix. And so we're thinking it's done. 
Uh, and then, as we said, it gets to today and no, no ally to Oregon. And, and here we are talking about the third five star in this class. And, and as we mentioned, it's the first time we've had three since 2019, Hazelwood, Weiss, Rattler. Um, but probably more crucially, this has been such a big defensive class for Brent Venables. I think it's the first time in the modern recruiting era they've had two five-star defenders. And yeah. if, if that's not any indication of where they're going, I think the breakdown of the class now is 15 defenders to 10 offensive guys. They've got to replenish this defense. And I think this class already was the start of that. But shoot, now you throw in Peyton Bowen and we can talk. We'll be talking a lot about maybe the expectations for him. But early on, if, if you want to view him, maybe similar as an athlete to Billy Bowman, another safety who came in and played as a freshman. There you go. You really might be able to make an impact quick. You know, uh, Brent Venables did, like you said, the poker chip, the OU poker chip, which I, I assume resembles all in because that's one of his. You, you got to catch that thing in, man. You catch that all thing in, in. All in. And then he, he, he and the side by side with a, a letter of intent form. So you kind of got a feeling for what it was. But he also had 6-9 on there. And you're right. There was a Bible scripture on there. And I had to do a little bit of research on this one. Not quite the Bible, Bible scholar, Eli, but. Found Galatians 6, 9, uh, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And, and, and this would, this whole, this case with Oklahoma not giving up, even though he, uh, you know, said he was going to Oregon, I assume that, you know, they didn't give up. They kept trying to fight for his, his, his uh, commitment to Oklahoma, his pledge to Oklahoma, and they were able to get it. And you're right, this, this is an important get. I think you wrote today, R.J. Washington in 2008, last five-star defender. Uh, uh, last top 10 defender, top 10 defender. Last top 10, sorry, last top 10 defender mm -hmm. that Oklahoma's had. Uh, this is a guy that you can really build a defense around, especially that back end. Back end. OU fans over the last decade have, have just seen Oklahoma's secondary struggle. Now you're right. You have a couple of really solid pieces in Billy Bowman. Now you have a young player in Peyton Bowen, Bowen who we've seen. If you watch his highlights from the, the Texas State playoffs, an incredible athlete, just incredible athlete who happens to be a teammate of Jackson Arnold. There we go. So I mean that that Denton, if if he can build a pipeline to Denton Geyer to, to Norman, that's a good sign. So uh, you know you're looking at two five stars from the same school coming to Oklahoma, huge for the Sooners. It's probably also just as we try to piece together kind of what went down the last 24 hours because I think we talked about this in the last pod that. This had the feeling of one of those recruiting signing day sagas of like the last decade. So it's felt the last few years that everything was kind of settled on signing day, but this had the feel of like late 2000s. That's kind of when I was getting into college football. I was a little, a little younger, Eric. Uh, was, you know, these guys flipping and all that. And, you know, we, we have no idea, certainly, whether on the NIL front, what might have been churning around on the family front for Peyton Bowen. But... Ultimately, it sounded like at the end of the day, his heart was in a certain place, and that was OU, and there was a lot in front of him. I'd imagine just generally in the world of NIL now, we're talking about a lot of money and a lot of pressure and decisions for 18-year-old kids to have to make. But I found it interesting uh, that in Peyton Bowen's statement today, when he, when he committed and, and signed with the Sooners, not only did he thank both coaching staffs at Notre Dame and Oregon, but he, he essentially, uh, he owned the last 24 hours and really the end of this recruiting process saying, hey, it was a whirlwind day and, and there were some mistakes that I made that I regret. And, and he apologized for the fan bases. He, he apologized for the, the fake out with the hat, picked up the Notre Dame hat and then tossed it. Uh, and, and so I think that was that was a mature move for him at the end of what really was like one of the, I don't know, I mean, you were t tossing around, what was that name today? The junior college commit 
uh, the last time OU kind of had a recruiting saga like this one. But this was a real classic uh, and epic in, in the recruiting drama. Well, you know, and that's something everyone has to remember. These are 18, 17, some, in some cases, 17 year old kids making a, a, a decision that affects the rest of their lives. And it's a lot to ask for these kids, a lot of pressure. And, you know, they're under the microscope so much. And, you know, everyone was wondering what Peyton Bowen was going to do. Can you imagine what it's like at his house? Relatives, mom, dad, brothers. But every time the phone rings, every time everyone asks, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's got to be tough on a kid. And, you know, you really feel for them. And I understand that, you know, it's a big decision. And um, that's what, as a parent, that's what, that's all I think of. You know, as a parent, I just think that I couldn't imagine my kids going through something like that and and all the pressure. And there was a, probably a ton of pressure on him. So I know that there's some fan bases at Notre Dame and Oregon that weren't happy. I know there were some disappointed Oklahoma fans yesterday. But in the end, you just got to remember, these are 17, 18-year-old kids that are, you know, trying to make life decisions. And, and it's tough. For some kids, it's tougher. Some kids, it, it's not as tough for some kids, but some kids, it's really tough. And when you're on the microscope like he was, that's what happened. So uh, excited to see him. He's one of 14 guys that are planning to be mid-year enrollees too, I think. Yeah, and they announced 13 yesterday. And we know prior to making his final decision, Peyton Bowen had tweeted out last week, uh, along with Jackson Arnold, that it was his last day as a high schooler, tweeted out the photo from his first day of school. So that would seem to indicate he's he's done with high school and, and will probably be that 14th guy on campus next month and you know when you think about now what this means we, we can talk all for days about what happened in the last 48 hours but the fact is now Peyton Bowen's coming to Norman what does this mean for the Sooners you mentioned his fit maybe in that secondary he's coming as part of a pretty talented uh secondary class in its own right Macari Vickers, Day McCullough uh, are, are kind of two of the big high school guys and, and Kendall Dolby coming from NEO up in Miami uh it's a really talented group that you can kind of foresee in a few years uh, in, in a dream world for, for Sooner fans, and I'm sure for Brent Venables and his staff, of this is the foundation that, you know, your next two years, you're talking about some underclassmen who I'm sure are going to have some growing pains getting their feet under them. But this has the makings of, of what could be that foundational class. I know Brent yesterday spoke about foundational pieces like Jackson Arnold. I'd, I'd imagine he would tell you Peyton Bowen's another, another one of those guys. And when you couple him with some really high caliber high school talent in that secondary on that defense, you can start picturing what they want this to look like, where they want it to be, because it's a lot of athletic guys, a lot of versatile guys. And, and this is, you know, everything they talked about this year, what they wanted the defense to be, but it wasn't maybe based somewhat on the personnel. They're bringing in at least the on paper, the right looking guys. Yeah, you look at P.J. Adebore. Yeah, I think I got it that time. Hey. Five-star guy, defensive end, length. I mean, that's the thing that both uh, Ted Roof and Brent Venable said, just length ton of length. I think that he's going to be uh, just someone, an uh, impact player. Lewis Carter, uh, linebacker yeah. out of Tampa, another one that, you know, really under the radar. A lot of teams didn't recruit him. Uh, he was a handful, of, one of a handful of players that really didn't get offers till late, but Brent Venables loves him, says he can, you know, he can, he sounds like he's someone that can play that cheetah position. He could play inside with some weight gain. I think he's just that athletic type of player on defense that they really, really, really crave. So I think that's huge. And, you know, it, it's just uh, they got uh, Marcus Strong, defensive lineman. He was a signing day commit. So they got him to kind of bolster that defensive line a little bit, too. So there's a lot of pieces to work with. I know Brent Venables is excited about this. Again, 15 of the 25 were on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's the part of the – I think I'll, they need a little bit of help on defense, like Brent Venables. And you mentioned this when we started. 
six and six, 500 team. And there's a chance they could have a losing record after this year. But still, to get a top 10 class, the foundation is being set. Uh, and it's just one of those things where you have to be patient. But if you're an Oklahoma fan, you really got to like the pieces that were put in place yesterday. That's right. And I think now with Peyton Bowen, they climbed to number five in 247's composite ranking, six in on threes. And Rivals still has them at seven. They might have climbed there, too. That's substantial because we could we you and I could be sitting here right now talking about a class that fell apart that when they went on their their streaks in, in October uh, and stumbled a bit at the end, we could be talking about a very different scenario. So the fact that they held on to him, I think, speaks to the recruiting that this coaching staff did. And you, you and I made a lot of visits to high schools and called up recruits and, and high school coaches. And I think we all heard the same things about the relational approach that this staff took and it paid off for them. And shoot, there, there were probably things this fall that right or wrong, you could criticize the staff for. But I think on signing day, there's not a whole lot of gripes you could have because they've delivered that class. And another name in there, I wrote yesterday a breakdown on the class. I was asked to write a sleeper. Taylor Wine is the, the defensive end who also fits that kind of mold of the long, broad, fast pass rusher. He's another late bloomer, three-started, not a lot of power five offers. I think the Sooners were his first. And I, I think what we've learned in now pretty much a full year coming Brent Venables and his staff, what they're looking for on defense are athletic, versatile guys. And they send a class of athletic and versatile guys on defense who can whether they play inside or whether they put weight on or they're meant to be, you know, that cheetah position or go in the secondary, they're going to have those those guys. And, I mean, if you want to talk about a recipe for success, I think it's bringing as many high-caliber guys that fit that mold and, and seeing what you've got when you've got them on campus. Tyler Wine, six foot five, 235. You talk wingspan, 6'5". Yeah. I think that we're starting to see what Brent enjoys. Exactly. We're starting to see the type of player that Brent Venables enjoys. Uh, let's move over to offense, and you know what, Jackson Arnold, you, you've written a couple of big pieces on Jackson the last couple of days, couple last, during the last week. Um, I know that um, Brent Venables is really, really high on what he brings to the table. Uh, I know Jeff Levy said he's going to be the face of Oklahoma football for years to come, and uh, just enjoys the way that he spins the football. Just That's what impressed him the most, how the how fast the ball comes out of his hands, just his decision-making. I know uh, Jeff Levy is excited about the opportunity to, to coach him, I know uh, Brent Venables uh, basically said that he was glad that he stayed loyal because, you know, we're just seeing a lot of jumping around and yep. signing and teams trying to poach quarterbacks. But Jackson Arnold, he did a good job not only staying loyal, but recruiting uh, for this program, too. So just your thoughts on Jackson. You've got to spend a lot of time talking to family, friends, coaches. Just what's it been like covering him over the past week? Yeah, it's, it's hard to know where to start because there's the part of him that is everything you'd expect from a five-star quarterback. I mean, I, I spoke to Reed Heim, his coach at, at Denton Geyer, and he's got no reason at this point to oversell Jackson. Uh, but he, he basically put it this way to me. In Texas, we're talking about the best high school football in the country. He says he sees guys, you know, great players every weekend. Almost every single one of them has a hole in their game, some kind of weakness, some kind of undoing. And with Jackson Arnold, I mean, he basically said he's got to adjust to the speed of the game, of course, coming up. But and at the, he does not see that bit in his game that is is the the undoing for him. And, and another point that another coach of his, Rodney Webb, made was uh, was that if you wanted Jackson Arnold to run a flex bone, he could run a flex bone. If you want to put him in an air raid offense, he could run an air raid. But the perfect offense for him and the offense he succeeded in at Denton Geyer looks an awful lot like Jeff Levy's. And that's both in his ability to throw the ball, he can use his feet. Um, and extend plays, but 
what really jumped out to me, and, and maybe this gets us to the next point, is, is that a lot of the people who've worked with him and watched him play a lot harped on his, his ability to read the game. And that's pre-snap reads, that's post-snap reads. And man, if, if we didn't hear a lot about those as it related to Dylan Gabriel in this offense this year and what those mean in this offense, uh, he's going to bring that. He, I had multiple people tell me he's built for a Jeff Levy offense, and, and that's got to be music to Jeff Levy's ears. I'm sure he knew that already, but OU fans' ears. But the other end of things with Jackson, I knew he was good. You're not a five-star quarterback, fourth quarterback in the country, seventh overall prospect in the country without – uh, without that, but was to meet the kid and and to meet the kid who's going to have a lot of pressure on him when he gets to Norman, um, because for for better or worse, he's an 18 year old now who's coming to Norman under a heavy weight of expectation. I mean, they they didn't uh, wouldn't say they didn't do favors yesterday, but the fact is, the day he signed his national letter of intent, his head coach and his offensive coordinator said, "You're the future," and he is going to be the future. And so, one thing I talked to Jackson about was pressure. How do you handle it? And you know, he said it's it's tough and, and that, you know, blocking it out is important to him. When when the offers came and the star ratings came, uh, he, you know, he felt that. But he's also the same kid who went to the Elite 11, uh, the academy with all the best quarterbacks in the country and one MVP. He's the kid who his very first significant snaps of high school football came when he was a freshman in the state title game in Texas. Uh, quarterback in front of him gets hurt. He's now at Texas A&M. And Jackson comes in and gets battered. He was not ready, hadn't worked with the first team. He weighed maybe 170 pounds. But all he did was come back and, and throw on probably the best, one of the best high school quarterbacking careers in the state of Texas. Uh, and, and really, he told me he likes to get away. When he's, when he's out playing football, he's watching movies, he's watching video games. Told me that after the loss in the state semifinals to DeSoto, he went home and watched straight out of Compton. And he was able to just have a smile on his face and tell me he liked the acting. And so I, I think what you have there is an obvious talent. He's a supreme talent, but also the kind of mature kid who, who has at least thought about the pressure. I mean, you're 18 years old, and, and I, perhaps things have come easy to him. It'd be easy for him to think it's all going to be that way or be naive, but he really does seem to have that poise, that composure, and all the things away from what he does under center that I think you'd want in your quarterback of the future. And uh, it was that was really the crux of the story. I went down there to write about him. You know, it's funny uh, you mentioned. I'll get on a side note a little bit. I had a chance to do a story on Zane Flores when I went up to to uh, Nebraska, uh, Oklahoma State commit, and I was talking to Zane's dad. And Zane said, Zane Zane's dad said that Jackson and uh, Zane were roommates at the Elite Eleven. So here's two guys could be bedlam quarterbacks facing in those games, but they, you know, they developed a friendship in the Elite 11. I thought that was pretty cool too, just on a side note. You and I had a chance to do surveys with some of these recruits that we talked to. And what really interests me is that we asked all of them the same question, what teammate intrigues you the most? And a lot of them said Jackson Arnold. I mean, he really yep. is the main leader of this recruiting class. You see that leadership. You see how much these, these offensive linemen want to block for him. These wide receivers want to catch passes from him. Uh, it, it's it's infectious when you have that leadership, even before he stepped on campus. So I think that's big, too, as how they really are starting to mesh together, even before they get out, out of campus on uh, in January. Well, the, that's the other thing I heard, too. He's not your rah-rah quarterback. He's not Baker Mayfield, I don't think. But everyone I spoke to talked about spoke about the way he led, the way he made the guys around him better. And then you start talking to the guys in this class. I and mean, he told me 
I'm tight with all 23 guys. And that can be lip service. You're skeptical when you hear that. But then you call up uh, Keon Brown, one of the two receivers in this class. And he's talking about how tight they are, about how they're wishing each other happy birthday, being uh, getting close already. And they'll be on campus soon. Uh, Keon Brown said, we're, we're, we're finna make history together. And that's that's kind of like the goal they have. But you you went and talked to the O-lineman. You talked to Cade McIntyre in Nebraska. Everyone's excited to be with him. And I, I think that's, you know, another thing that you'd like to hear if you're Brent Venables or you're a Sooners fan is that he's already kind of got um, this group behind him. And it, it, I wouldn't quite put it on this level, but it sounds a bit like what we've heard about Dylan Gabriel uh, in terms of being a galvanizing force. And I can say this for all the expectation, and I guarantee you, like mark my words, we'll have people calling for Jackson Arnold to be starting next September. Mm -hmm. He is very eager to come in. He's very excited for spring camp just to feel the, the pace of the game. But he's excited to come in and sit behind Dylan Gabriel, learn from him. And he did that once in his career, his sophomore year, after that nightmare state title game. He was the backup again to Eli Stowers, who's now at Texas A&M. And uh, Rodney Webb said we probably had the best backup quarterback in Texas high school history. But he was really into learning the offense, learning from the veteran in front of him and made the most of his mop-up duty. I'd hope, you know, maybe next year, especially in September, we might at least see him get to throw a few passes. Uh, but I, I think we're going to see Jackson Arnold get his shot here at some point at OU because Brent Venables, Jeff Levy, essentially suggested nothing otherwise. He is the future, and that's the quarterback OU fans should be watching in a few years. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you're right. I mean, I think back to this year, uh, a lot of fans probably wish they saw a little bit more of Nick Evers. Only game that he played was against Texas, and it was really in late fourth quarter duty. I think that people would have loved to see him play a little more. Uh, now, of course, he's uh, transferred to Wisconsin. So, uh, and now Jackson Arnold. I think if you get it some early action for him, you know, get let him get his feet wet because you're right. He does need to get that game action. Uh, he has all the tools. Uh, you just want to see how he does. And to be honest, I'm kind of anxious to see how he'll play in the spring game. I think that'll be that'll be key yeah. in the spring game too. So um, we'll talk a lot more about this recruiting class as these these weeks go by. Uh, I want to ask you too, real quick, about the transfer portal though. Uh, Oklahoma did get another player today, uh, Reggie Pearson. A uh, guy from Texas Tech, and uh, the play that I remember, Eli, is the play down in Lubbock. Uh, the first play of overtime when Oklahoma ran a trick play, Dylan Gabriel catch, catches a pass and takes a massive hit from who else? Reggie Pearson. Knocked him out for one play. Really seemed to really take momentum away from Oklahoma. Uh, and now here's a guy with a lot of experience. He's played a lot. He's played two full years at, for the Red Raiders. Uh, played for um, offensive analyst Matt Wells. Who was on OU staff? He, Matt was uh, Matt was uh, his head coach at Texas Tech. He also had two years, three years experience at Wisconsin. Uh, uh, one year was extensive playing, and and he played a little bit in 2018 and uh, sat out 2020. I think it was more of a COVID year. The 2020 opt out. So I think he opted out. I don't know. It's, it's a redshirt year. That's what I read. But uh, he's a, he's a big defensive back that Oklahoma. We talked about the secondary. That was big. He joins Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame, Alston Stogner from South Carolina, and Dayson McCullough from uh, Indiana. So they, they're hitting the portal. They're still going to hit the portal. I don't think it's the last one. I've, I'm waiting to see a wide receiver. I think that's the position yeah. where we're going to see what wide receiver they're going to bring in. Brent Venables did say that he expects maybe 10 more names uh, between now and, and signing day in February or even start of classes this spring. Yeah, I, I mean, the wide receivers really – the, the need there, the, the desperate need there probably hinges a bit on what Marvin Mims decides to do after the Cheez-It Bowl. He was a bit 
still, you know, 50-50 last week when, when he was in front of reporters. But Reggie Pearson, yeah, not only did he lay that hit on Dylan Gabriel, he had that hit in the video he posted today when he committed. And Dylan, Dylan retweeted it. And then Marvin Mims was in the comments saying, pretty bold uh, retweeting the video of you getting popped in. And so I'm sure that will be uh, talked about whenever it is we do get to talk to Reggie. But I think the big thing this year with the defense, we heard it over and over and we saw it at times, was the lack of depth. And the, the secondary maybe wasn't the key issue there. I think the linebacker position, it was so glaring. But depth uh, and, and depth of guys they felt like they could put into games and put into spots in this defense uh, to succeed, that was a problem. So a guy like Reggie Pearson, who has all that experience, whether he's a day one starter or not, uh, we, we also know that that only matters so much. They need more. They, they can't be stiff arming experienced talent. And so he is a big addition for them. So we'll see what happens with the Sooners going forward, uh, recruiting, signing and stuff like that. That never sleeps. We'll see. You know, there's one more day of the signing period, too. So we'll just see if there. I don't expect anything late, but you never know. Um, then next week, we're heading to Orlando for the, the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma, I think about an eight-point underdog right now going into that game. It's going to be tough. Oklahoma's numbers, especially on the defensive line, are so down right now. It's, it's going to be a tough game for the Sooners. I think we talked about this a little last week. It's a tough matchup because of where the game is. Uh, it's almost like a home game for Florida. Uh, I think Marvin Mims even said that it's not really a neutral site game, but it is because there's going to be a ton of Florida. Yeah, at least going to feel that way. Yeah, and, and this is a Florida State program that hadn't been to a bowl game in three years, So, and they're trying to win 10 games, so they're going to have a lot to prove. So Oklahoma, we talked about this last week, and I think after talking to the players this week, they understand they're going to have to really match the intensity of the Seminoles if they if they want to you know hang around in, in this bowl game. So, Eric, what's the temperature right now in Tulsa? <laughs> it is. the temperature in Tulsa? I think it's five degrees, it looks like. We're at five degrees. Uh, I mean, kickoff for the cheese of Bulls, 530 Eastern, right? Maybe yeah. Central, whatever, yeah. late afternoon. Yeah. It's going to be 70, projected to be 76 degrees. So you got that to look forward to. You can wear shorts, wear a Hawaiian shirt, whatever you want, man. Uh, it's going to be nice down there. But it, as you said, it, it's going to be a tough matchup, I, I think. We're not talking about a Florida State team that got decimated this month in terms of portal or, or guys going to the pros. They're bringing back Jordan Travis, who yeah. projects as a Heisman contender next year. And I, I think on top of maybe some of the mismatches, what they're going to run into the Sooners is a team that probably has a point to make. I think if either way, Florida State probably opens next year as a top 10 program with some pretty hefty aspirations. And as you said, it's been a while for them and a chance to, to close it out, close out this year with 10 wins and springboard into next year. As much as the Sooners might view this as a springboard, this could really be a launching pad for, for Florida State as well. So we'll, we'll see, I guess, what this matchup looks like. be interesting to gauge maybe the confidence when we get down there to Orlando. But I'm just looking forward to some warmer weather with you, man. <laughs> Warm weather. And, you know, it's funny. Here's the question. I know we really have – we didn't talk any bowl prep, of course, yesterday with Jeff Levy because it was – focuses on signing day but next week I think one of the questions you ask him is do you continue to run the hurry up offense uh or do you try to eat clock and, and try to play ball control a little more I know it's it goes against everything you do but uh I I just kind of curious what kind of game plan they're going to have for this 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 because it could get ugly early if they're not moving the football they're not going to have Eric Gray to depend on in the backfield so I and they're going to have young running backs uh we saw uh, Marcus Major uh, in a boot. So, I mean, there's just there's just so much 
question marks on this offense. I mean, I'm kind of curious to see what happens. So, I mean, the game itself, I, I, it's just a game, I know, but it, you'd like to go into the spring with a little bit of momentum, feeling good about yourself, especially when you signed the class that you did. So I think that's the key. I think that's what Oklahoma wants to focus on. And, you know, everyone's really counting them out. I know inside that locker room, they're probably talking about that too. That's not lost on these players. No, certainly not. And they, I mean, they heard it all fall and, and there's a lot of pride there. It's a lot of pride from guys like Braden Willis and, and Marvin. We'll see what Marvin Mims does. We know Braden Willis is, is out of here after this. He'll go to the senior bowl. Uh, he improved his draft stock, but he's here to finish this out as a captain, a proper captain. And there's a lot of pride there. We heard that when they spoke last week. And, and there really are some intriguing positions to look at. Running back, no Eric Gray. Javante Barnes really can be that guy in this bowl game. It's his his chance to take, and, and same goes for, for Gavin Sawchuk. And you want to start projecting out to next year, you look there, you look at the offensive line down a couple guys. So uh, it, as you said, it's a game. There might be a number on the scoreboard, but it may also be worth watching for, for individual performances and, and seeing where, uh, where, where things land and what, how, how guys look. I, I think it could be an audition even for, for certain guys who may or may not still hit the portal. I think yeah. that's entirely possible as well, that this month of practices plus a game uh, may be the deciding factor for guys to to stay or go. Uh, and, and so there's a lot to watch. But let's hit hoops before we get out of here. <laughs> OU women last night put a, a walloping on Florida in Charlotte. Uh, Taylor Robertson. Uh, <laughs> we're, I was going to quiz you this You're going to quiz me on this, Harry. Got <laughs> uh, his notes up. I got my notes up, but I can't find it real quick, though. That's the thing. I do know she is second all-time right now in three-pointers uh, made. So she's 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 going to get that record pretty soon. Uh, I, I even tweeted it, and, of course, I don't have it up in front of me now. Uh, she uh, set the NCAA record for career games with at least five three-pointers. She now has 40 of those games, 40 games with five or more threes. That's incredible. incredible. Uh, she's done that. So she set the NCAA record there. Uh, they beat Florida 95-79. It was 31-11 uh, in the first half. I mean, Oklahoma just really, really uh, just pounded Florida. I'm really impressed with their defense. It wasn't just their offense. It was their defense that impressed me early. Really pestered, pestered Florida a lot. So uh, big win. And it, it turned out to be a sweep for the Sooners, too, because the night before, uh, the, the OU men got a big win over Florida as well. I'm racking my brain. There were good perform for the men. There were really good performances against some top level opponents. They went to Florida around Thanksgiving and beat uh, seat Nebraska, Seton Hall, and Ole Miss to claim the whatever it is invitational title. But I think that might have been one of their most impressive performances against Florida the other night because they navigated so much. I thought that was a really important game. This Florida team is not maybe the Florida of the past. Uh, after that loss, they went down to seven and five. But you are still talking about an SEC opponent and one of the last. Really, uh, they've got Alabama in July on uh, January on the uh, SEC Big Twelve Challenge. But that was a big game in terms of resume building, and they came out and Grant Sherfield was scoring, but picked up two big fouls early. He was on the bench. They navigated a really critical stretch without him on the floor to close the half. Ended with a 9-2 run, Tanner Groves three-pointer. And the second half, not only did they, again, I mean, Grant Sherfield didn't pick up another foul. Credit to him. He's not only been their best scorer, but that was a critical performance from your best player just, just to keep out of the foul trouble there. But they they jumped ahead. They, they did what they had to do. They used the bench. Dijon Cortez had a nice night. Uh, Sam Godwin, again, delivered behind Tanner Groves. 
And then they closed it out. And you noted, noted this on Twitter that last year they weren't doing that in these close games. And that should bode well because there were points in that game where I said, man, if Florida's going to run them off the floor, what's going to happen with Kansas, Texas, Baylor? Uh, you know, the, they're about to jump into the gauntlet. Um, but, but it was big for them, I think, to show that they could close out a game against a quality opponent and then to get that win because we know in the Big 12 they'll be in the thick of it and it might really come down to a game or two. You know, I'd, the difference between a saying eight and eight record or whatever the number is or a, a nine and seven might do it or it would probably be a 10 and eight might do it. For them to be on the margins there and to have that win against Florida I think was big. And now we're staring down a, a, a Big 12 opener with Texas right right after the cheese Bowl. I'll jet back and be at Lloyd Noble on uh, New Year's Day Eve. Yeah, yeah. So New Year's Eve game, right? Uh, OU Texas. Uh, will Chris be there? Chris Beard. Uh, we'll see. I don't imagine he would be, but that would be quite a story to cover if he was. Yeah, so, uh, all right. Well, uh, Eli, it's been a great week. Uh, a lot of coverage. Uh, appreciate all the readers out there. TulsaWorld.com, of course. Everything on uh, on our uh, podcast, uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, everything, and also you know across the board, all our all our writers are doing podcasts. Oklahoma State has a podcast. University of Tulsa has one. Bill Haston has a podcast. So uh, be sure and you can find us all on there. We're talking every week, talking sports. So we appreciate all your readership, everyone out there listening. Uh, Eli and I will be in Orlando one week from today. We'll be, I think, one week from today. We'll be watching a kickoff. Right? It's about about. Uh, one week. Shoot, you're exactly right. We'll have a kickoff a game, so we'll have the final season, final game of the 2023-22 season. So, uh, everyone out there, thanks. Anything else you like? Anything to add? Well, hey, you know, uh, this is the last time we'll convene before Christmas, so everyone out there, be safe. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, the whole the whole gamut of it, and uh, we will see you. We'll come at you from Orlando, maybe like a poolside pod. I like the idea of that. I like yeah. the sound of that. We can sit my ties and then do a podcast. <laughs> we should. We should just do it that way and find try to find some special guests to try to pull some people to talk with us too. So we'll we'll figure something we out next week for sure. So everyone out there, like like Eli said, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Thanks for watching.